Hey everybody, I'm Wagas. I'm a third year internal medicine resident at NYU and clinical investigator track. For medical school, I went to UT Southwestern in Dallas, Texas, which is where I grew up. And there I was involved in a project for my dissertation on the financial and clinical utility of foundation medicine testing at our institution's cancer center. In this video and in the podcast today, I'll be talking a little bit about how I got involved in research, some tips and tricks I would give to any version of myself trying to navigate a career in medicine and research, and also just some general advice I would give for internal medicine residents trying to forge a path towards being an oncologist and trying to figure out how to balance research with all the clinical duties and responsibilities that you have. Most of my research in the past three the years has been involved in the melanoma space at NYU, and I've also published a lot on health price transparency, uh, just, just given my public health and economics background. One of my key publications was a research letter in JAMA that was published looking at compliance of hospitals with the different price transparency laws that are now required to be followed. And most of my future research that I hope to be involved in as an, as an aspiring oncologist are really involved in trying to figure out ways to bring new therapies and, and therapeutics to patients. So just trying to focus more on learning about innovative clinical trial designs and learning about how early phase clinical development works. So a really common question that I get is, how do you actually get started in research, especially if you didn't have much of a background in it as an undergraduate student or <clears throat> you did any kind of graduate work before medical school? One thing I really say is that your research productivity and your success of research, especially early on, is really self-paced, but also driven by your choice of mentorship. And one thing that I really recommend you to do if you haven't already found a research mentor is to actually look at the PubMed profiles, look at the recent publications of the PA you're interested in working with. If this is someone who is publishing you know, 10, 20, 30, or even more times a year in leading journals in your field, then that's probably someone who is going to be able to, or you know, who's possibly going to be a good mentor for you because they're really productive, right? So it's, it's, it's obviously not a guarantee because you don't know how much support they're going to be giving you. But at the same time, the fact that they have a really positive track record shows that if you have a goal of trying to publish something and have a tangible output, whether it's a publication or it's or some type of presentation or abstract at a national conference, that's probably going to be a pretty good fit for you. But if this is someone who maybe publishes, you know, not that often, or their last publication was a few years ago, or there's multiple years between their publications, then that might not be someone who's going to be able to publish with you in the next few years, right? It's not obviously an exact formula, but that's a general thing that I try to recommend people when they're looking at mentors. Also try to find someone with who has a similar area of interest as you. It, once again, if you just go on the faculty profiles and just read a little bit about people's publications, what they're interested in, what kind of motivated them to get involved in their, their area of research, then that might be a great way for you to get started as well. If you're having, if you're having difficulty finding someone at your institution, there are ways to get involved with research at a national level. There's always the, you know, there's obviously the opportunity to go to a conference and network with people and finding opportunities there. There are some more nationwide kinds of groups like, like machine learning for MDs or also MD plus where you can get connected and plugged in with other early stage trainees and, and med students and residents to possibly find a project. There's also different opportunities like the Keras Precision Oncology Alliance where there are regularly recurring meetings where people share research and working groups on some of the latest publications they're working on. So that could be another area where you can maybe tag on to a project, but really the easiest way is to find someone at your institution. You're kind of already plugged in. You will be seeing that person in the hospital or the wards, and it's usually easy to get things like IRB set up and, and those sorts of things as you're trying to get involved in research. 
Also, if you're interested in a certain topic but don't really know where to start, doing a literature review might actually be a really good way for you to get started in research because you can work with your librarian to figure out the search terms that you need to sort of initially approach the research topic you're interested in or the, or the area you want to review. And once you've made some progress, you can probably find a mentor in your, seri- of your similar area of interest who is willing to mentor you or to at least supervise you as you go through the lit review. So that's always another area where you can sort of find a way to get started if you haven't already with research. So you found a potential mentor, you found a potential area of research that you're interested in. What's the next step? How do you actually explore a topic substantially and in a way that you'll be able to work towards an eventual publication? I can sort of explain this by giving a personal example. I've recently become interested in early cancer detection and the role of liquid biopsies for multi-cancer early detection, which is the idea that just through doing a blood test or by sampling you know, fluid in a, in a more minimally invasive way, you can actually test for a variety of different cancers with different kinds of technologies and get a better sense of a patient's prognosis or risk for a cancer in the near or long term. There's obviously a lot of debate about the utility of this compared to a single cancer screening that we have that's you know, recommended by the USPSTF, but that's obviously sort of beyond the scope of our discussion today. What I did to kind of learn more about this topic was just by looking at some of the key reviews in big journals and finding the different perspectives on, on multi-cancer early detection. Who are the proponents of it? Who are the opponents of it? You know, what's the kind of discussion that you're, you're seeing in some of the leading reviews and, and leading, in leading systematic reviews and, and, and perspective pieces in big journals? Also, I know that this might be a little bit tedious, but it's always good to figure out the affiliation of the authors and, and, and the place where the, 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 the article is being published. What you'll notice is that in any really niche field of research, it's always a small world. So you might be reading a paper, and then you see someone from your institution who's on a paper. Or you might recognize one of your PIs or one of your collaborators who's on that same piece. And that might be a good way to get an introduction or to learn more about that specific piece of research. So once again, for me, I looked at the different review articles. I looked at the economics of multi-cancer detection. I looked at some articles that review the science behind it, the different kinds of methods, whether they be methylation or looking at microRNAs or about looking at extracellular vesicles or looking at proteomics, different kinds of approaches that are being done to really capture liquid biopsies for cancer detection. And the second thing I would say is beyond just reading on your own is go to your mentor. This is where mentorship is really important. Be able to ask dumb questions, be able to ask how the topic that you're looking at or the approach you're taking is a little bit new or different from what's being done conventionally. And this will give you a really good sense of how you can target literature research. And just bring a clipboard, take notes, and once you have a really good sense, at least of the basics of the area you're looking at, you'll probably be in a good, good space to where you can continue your research project. So one of the most challenging aspects of residency is that you're trying to take care of patients, trying to do the best job you can, but then you have a really short timeline to get involved in research because your intern year is really busy, you have a lot of inpatient blocks, you obviously don't have that many weekends off. During second year, you're kind of working, getting more involved with oncology or, or this fellowship they're interested in, and then boom, end of second year hits you, you have to start looking into ERAS and getting rec letters and writing a personal statement. And if you haven't really done that much research, it can be all, all sort of overwhelming and it can kind of come up on you pretty quick. But obviously, patient care comes first as a resident. At, but with that being said, there's a lot of ways to maximize your research productivity and make sure that you're on a steady, steady platform during your training. The first thing is you really have to know your schedule. There's a lot of residency programs, including my own, that follow the X plus Y schedule, where you have a number of inpatient weeks followed by a number of outpatient weeks. 
And this is great because as you all are probably aware, during your inpatient time, you don't have many weekends off, you're working late, you're really trying to focus on, on taking the best care you can of sick patients. You may not have the mental bandwidth or the time to intensively focus on one part of your project for multiple hours, maybe aside on your off day if you have time on that time. But during outpatient blocks, you're working nine to five, you have weekends off, you have, you're in a more sort of relaxed and predictable setting, you know you're gonna go home at a certain time. This is a time where you're really able to make progress on your projects. Now, one pitfall that you're going to run into is if you're only working on a single project is that you're doing all this great work, but then when it comes time for your outpatient block, there's some kind of roadblock, right? You need access to a data set. Your PI is needing a little bit extra time to get back to you because they're on vacation or they're at a conference or traveling, or there's some kind of, of roadblock that's preventing you from taking the next step. And by the time the roadblock is solved, you're back on your inpatient block, back to being really busy, and you end up losing you know, a couple months of, of making progress on your research. What you need to do, or you know, possible is to be involved in multiple projects. Of course, they should be of a reasonable time commitment, so I'll work with you. But the good thing is, by being involved in multiple projects, is when one thing becomes a little bit calmer, less busy, you're able to kind of turn your eyes and gaze towards the other project and make some more progress on that one. Second thing I'll say is that you really need to be prepared and know your timeline, right? If there's, if you want to apply for ASCO, know the deadlines for for the ASCO conference or for the or for the trainee aspect of the conference where you can present, know the deadlines, so that way you have at least somewhat of a finished product or something that you can present and, and, and sort of move on to make your research have some kind of tangible output. Next thing I'll say is take ownership of your project. Instead of being involved in a lot of projects where you're the third or fourth author or are, have a more peripheral role, don't really know what's going on with the, with the actual paper itself, aren't fully responsible for all aspects of the paper, be, a, be the first author. When it comes to talking about your, your research, you want to be able to show that you took a project from conception all the way to doing the manuscript preparation and submission. And it often becomes a very meaningful experience. You'll be able to learn about all aspects of the research process, and you're able to describe it more articulately as well. Another advice that one of my, my mentors gave me is that if you write a sentence a day, no matter what, you'll find that you'll that, that you can speed up your research quite a bit. So I know that it's really hard, as I said, to do research during your inpatient blocks, but even if you can find a really, like a really mini small task for your project, whether it's like literally writing a sentence or just even, not even doing the data analysis, but just planning what kinds of tables or figures you want, or just kind of knowing where to find the data, or sending an email to one of your collaborators or someone who's collecting data with you. If you just do a mini task during your inpatient blocks or really busy days, those things will eventually add up and it'll make your, your time easier once you have a little bit more, more flexibility to work on the next steps of your project. So while it is difficult to be you know, productive during your residency and you're obviously focused on being as good of a clinician as you can, there are ways to kind of mold yourself towards that next step of fellowship where you can specialize yourself in certain therapeutic area, certain modality, or certain aspect of cancer care.